Tired of complex and high credit card processing fees? It's time to simplify. Whether you own a big business or a small startup, Empower Payments can save you money. Streamline your payment process while saving money today with Empower Payments. Learn more at EmpowerPayments.com. That's EmpowerPayments.com. Zone is presented by Guaranteed Foods, delivering all natural food to Midwestern families since 1958. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. Believe it or not, I really just want to talk about Drew Locke. Secondarily, I kind of just want to talk about the Eagles. Because Monday Night Football last night delivered on a variety of levels and in a number of ways that I thought likely impossible. Welcome in to today's edition of The Zone here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. No Jason Anderson today. He'll be back the rest of the week uh, as he'll uh, he'll join us live from Louisville. Uh, but on the road right now, so it means myself, Joshua Briscoe, alongside Dylan Michaels will be your guides the next four hours. We'll have our usual slate of guests alongside us, though. Adam Teicher of ESPN will join us at 11. Lebo at noon. And then Braden Gall in the 1 o'clock hour to talk about uh, college football. And uh, I'm going to make them talk about Will Levis and the Titans and everything going on uh, in that absolutely hectic division and then just what that team is doing right now. But that's a long way away. It's a lot longer away than where we are right now. We will spend a decent amount of time talking about Monday Night Football because I think both sides of the equation brought some interesting things to a a Chiefs level worth discussing, um, both in terms of where the Eagles stand now. Three losses in a row is the sky falling for them, and uh, of course the uh, the local quarterback Drew Locke putting his backpack on and also putting some other things on, depending on how good of a lip reader you are. Uh, as he spoke directly into the camera after the game, and then uh, speaking to Lisa Salters at the very, uh, I guess, past the end of the game, post game interview typically how that works. Uh, also, one of the best NFL post-game interview moments you're going to see this side of like an amped Frank Clark. So we'll dissect all of that. I really do have an intense desire to just talk about what Drew Locke did and the rest of the things from that game. But we need to start with news that broke late yesterday as the Chiefs, much to my surprise and and now to my concern uh they place sky more on injured reserve happens late last afternoon and it's weird for like the face value levels which is like oh well nobody he didn't get carted off nobody knew what level of seriousness there was going to be and uh and Andy Reid said at the beginning of his post-game press conference, he said, as far as injuries go, really, Sky Moore is the one that had to leave the game. He hurt his left knee, just swelled up a little bit. And that was the end of Andy Reid's injury report uh, on uh, on Sunday. So when he ends up on IR with what we learned at the time was, quote-unquote, swelling in his knee, and I don't think he mentioned it at all yesterday in his Monday presser, 
Uh, whatever they found out when Sky Moore came back in, I'm guessing there was just more damage than simply swelling. Whatever the cause of the swelling was, I suppose, was serious enough to at least end his regular season. But to end up on IR that quickly is sort of odd. Um, in this case, I think it's relatively obvious why they went ahead and made that move. Usually the Chiefs, if they're going to make a roster move like that, will drag it all out and make more of those those roster shuffling moves like Friday or Saturday. You know, doing practice squad elevations and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think the reason they went ahead and just made this move yesterday is because Justin Ross needed to get back on the active roster. His commissioner's exemption uh, held him through last game. He didn't play, obviously, on Sunday. But now, Skymore to IR, and Justin Ross gets the uh, the roster spot there coming off of his suspension, which was ruled a, a six-game suspension after, I think, five of those games had been served, right? I think he's now missed seven, I suppose. But um, point being, the wide receiver room has obviously had a lot of questions, and Skymore has been a, a main factor in that, honestly, until the second half of this season, when it no longer really felt like he was a serious part of the equation. So Skymore's regular season is over. I assume with the quickness of of that IR placement, I assume the entirety of his 2023 season is over. I'm, I wouldn't hold my breath for him in a, a deep playoff run. And frankly, if, you know, if all he was back for was a Super Bowl that the Chiefs ended up in, I don't think they would take him cold off IR and give him a major role in a Super Bowl with the way his season had gone anyway. So the season's over. Regular season's definitely over. Entire season is most likely over. But the question that I have seen begun to, to bubble up to the surface amongst Chiefs fans now is, is his time as a member of the Kansas City Chiefs over? And I think it's too soon to proclaim that. I don't think it's terribly good process to root for that, but I understand how you get there. There's no way to sugarcoat that Skymore's rookie season was whelming at best. I I was kind of on this track. This is a you know, weird way to pat myself on the back or weird flex or whatever, so it's not really supposed to be that. But I, I early on was saying, hey, I'm just not expecting much from Sky Moore in his rookie year, which also, by the way, led into some skepticism for me on Rasheed Rice's role in this rookie season that obviously he has far exceeded my expectations there. But going into last year, I was saying, look, I... Small school guy, Andy Reid rookies on uh, wide receiver don't usually get a major workload right away. And, of course, last year they still had Juju Smith-Schuster. You wanted to see something from Sky Moore, but you didn't see a ton. The real selling point for, for Sky was throughout this offseason and training camp when, to the best of my knowledge and to the best of my memory and to the best of my understanding – both publicly and privately, the Chiefs are preparing for Sky Moore to be this team's number one wide receiver. Andy Reid said publicly, I think NFL Network, it was a, I don't know why this is the one that sticks in my head, but I think it was a an NFL Network like TV interview live from training camp, like up on the hill. I think I'm, I don't think I'm imagining that. He said there, and, and maybe some other NFL media places, that, oh, you know, we're, we're expecting Sky to take a jump this year. They, they, we're going to really rely on him. I can't remember what the exact phrasing was, but it was a lot of, of language along those lines, and then it seemed like privately, or or at least kind of you know reportedly, Kadarius Tony also had a lot of love in the uh, the Chiefs front office in terms of what what his role would be. But Sky Moore was really the guy this year who it felt like the Chiefs were telegraphing legitimate expectations for. 
and relying on him, betting on him in a way that has ultimately, of course, backfired and ultimately, of course, put them in a difficult position now because he has not taken the Juju Smith-Schuster role and he really didn't take any meaningful role other than the role of another wide receiver who Patrick Mahomes frequently targets and uh, begins to look more and more visibly frustrated with as they're not in the position they're supposed to be. Sky Moore is as much a victim as that of that as anybody. So what's the point then? He didn't take a jump in year two. Mahomes never learned to trust him. His physical traits aren't giving him like a clear path to playing time. It's it's not clear to understand or see how or why exactly he's going to work as an NFL wide receiver. And I, I, over the years, have become a little bit more convinced, specifically at wide receiver, that if you're not a guy at the end of year two, or maybe just the guy you are at the end of year two, is probably who you're going to continue to be. I, I tend to subscribe to that. I wouldn't say it's a hard and fast rule. But there's a player who could not have set us up better for this conversation. In terms of what should you be expecting or really like rooting for the Chiefs to do with Sky Moore next. Because I understand, hey, maybe it's a, a conditional late draft pick sometime before training camp. Because some team thinks that they can get more out of Sky Moore than the Chiefs did. So give him a fresh start. Change the scenery. Send him somewhere and get a sixth round pick back that you you know, may have lost by acquiring McCole Hardman at the trade deadline. Compensatory picks, the actual pick swap on that. Maybe you just get a pick back and you cut your losses after two years. There have been people that say, hey, people have been clamoring for Sky Moore to be cut since like week three of this season. I mean, hell, that's not even true. There have been people clamoring for Sky Moore to get cut since his first or second muffed punt last year. And, and being that kind of like vengeful in roster decisions is not a good idea you got to have good reason to make a move like that, and I feel like it's maybe a little exaggerated out of the place of frustration that a lot of these mistakes lead people to. But the player who leads us perfectly into the, discuss- the discussion I'd like to have about Sky Moore today is the star of Sunday's Chiefs victory. The star of the Chiefs win over the New England Patriots, Clyde edwards Elaire. Now tell me when you can no longer tell. I'm going to talk about either Clyde or Sky Moore here, okay? You fig- tell me tell me who I'm talking about between Clyde and Sky. Ultimately, just not a good draft pick. At this point, pretty evident, not living up to the potential of their slot, what the team thought they were investing in, a more limited player than they thought that he would be, cannot do as many things as versatility as they thought that he'd be able to grow into when they drafted him. Ultimately, overspent on a player who's pretty generic. At the end of last season, at the end of year two, wherever you want to put it, fans turned. We don't want to see him on the field anymore. Cut him, trade him, whatever. 
Now, of course, those are all things we're saying about both of these guys that have been said about both of these guys. Preseason this year, we were in here talking about Clyde Edwards-Elair because Chiefs fans wanted him cut. Why is Clyde on this team? You spent a first-round pick on him. It was a bad draft pick. He didn't live up to the hype. He had injury issues. Now he's just a, a, a plodding dude. Not even a thumper. Just just a guy out here playing football. Just cut him. Give me little Michael P. Ryan. Give me Daenerys Prince. Guys are both still in the practice squad, by the way. And what I was saying in the preseason was, look, I, I genuinely do not think you could find a member. There might be some. I, Jason and I might be able to argue about this, but eventually I will get tased for my vitriol. I don't know that you could find a member of Kansas City Sports Media who was more infuriated, frustrated, disappointed, let down with the Clyde Edwards-Elair draft pick than this guy. Maybe I'm tying with some people, but I don't think anybody beat me. That pick was a was a mistake the second they put the name on the card and, and I guess, handed it in with the COVID draft. However they did it. However they let Roger Goodell know in his basement that that was going to be the pick. It was a mistake from that moment. It was a mistake before it happened. It was a mistake leading up to it. That's why I was so confident the Chiefs wouldn't do it because the Chiefs don't generally do stupid things. And that was a dumb thing to do with that draft pick. All right? But this preseason, I felt like I had been taking crazy pills. I felt like I had hit my head and woke up, woke up in an alternate dimension because I was saying, hey, you need three running backs in the NFL. You do not want to rely on a rookie in, in like, emergency circumstances. You do not want to rely on Jarek McKinnon to have to have 15 carries in a game if Pacheco gets hurt. And Isaiah Pacheco runs like the Tasmanian Devil. It's going to be hard for him to stay healthy. So just have as many competent running backs as you can. As a predominant running backs don't really matter type of guy, that's where I'm coming from. Give me as many good running backs as you can because the difference between a running back you're going to get at number 15 overall and in the seventh round is not going to be that that extensive by and large. And it's very hard to predict which of those guys is going to be better. Case in point, Isaiah Pacheco is a better running back than Clyde Edwards-Elair despite where they were drafted. Better quicker, better across the board. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Again, I don't need to get into the running back conversation. God knows I've paid my dues there. But then Clyde, with Pacheco out, with McKinnon, I think getting just about as much work as the Chiefs want to be giving him in the regular season. Clyde ends up being your number one running back and your like highlight making wide receiver in this game on Sunday. Because he's been with you. When we talk about understanding the Chiefs' offense, I know I'm making this about Clyde now and we're going to bring him back to Sky Moore. When we talk about like understanding the Chiefs' offense, a lot of times I think that people think of that as like having time to go through the entire playbook and memorize all of the routes. And that's not really what it's about. I'm going to stop saying knowing the Chiefs offense, and I'm going to start saying understanding the Chiefs offense, because you need to understand how these moving parts work together, what your job is and why, and understand what it means to be a pass catcher or a pass protector 
for Patrick Mahomes. Because Clyde, all five foot whatever of him, knew that when Patrick Mahomes is trying to make a play in the red zone, I'm going to find my patch of grass. I got a little bit of space. And if this dude throws a pass my own height over my head, I am going to go up and get it, and he's going to give me a chance to do that. Look, I, I like the physical traits of Daenerys Prince. I don't know that Daenerys Prince has that automatically happening in the back of his head on game day. The Chiefs haven't given him a carry yet. I don't think he's had an, I'm not sure he's had an offensive snap yet, actually. But point being, there's value in 2023 Clyde Edwards E. Lair that people would not have gotten if they would have punished him for the sins of Brett Veach. If they would have cut him because of some mistakes and some injuries and not being there for the Super Bowl parade or whatever. So don't lose sight of the player because of the expectation. And look, Sky Moore has drastically undershot his expectations. And there were not positive steps this year that to me would indicate that there is a leap coming. But if Sky Moore is your number five wide receiver next year, for less than $2 million, that's less than the dead money they're going to incur when they cut MVS. There's value in that. That's okay. And what I would do with Sky Moore, depending on how serious his injury is, hopefully he's fully healthy for all the offseason stuff, say, look, man, we spent a second-round pick on this guy and got, what, 20-some games out of him over these two years? They're almost 38, maybe. I'm I'm not interested in just cutting bait right there for what a sixth round pick. Now here's what I'll say. In training camp next year, the Chiefs need to have like eight NFL caliber wide receivers. Like Emir Smith Marset was a preseason darling and a training camp darling and got traded and has played for the Panthers. Emir Smith-Marset shouldn't make the training camp roster next year. Like, there needs to be legitimate competition in a number of spots with a, number, with, a, with a wide variety of experience in terms of vets and rookies, younger guys, and, and a, a, enough ways you can hedge your bets that what happened this year isn't going to happen next year. I don't really think that should be... Yeah, it's going to be T. Higgins and a first-round pick and Rasheed Rice, and you're going to sign another free agent wide receiver. And because I think at some point you you do the like Brett Veach over-adjust in a way that can end up being a a little overcommittal. I'm also not saying just throw numbers at the thing. I'm saying go sign Mike Evans to a deal, essentially a two-year deal. You've got Rasheed Rice, who will be your number two wide receiver at that point. Another day one, I guess first round or maybe second round pick on another wide receiver because you're building out for who's going to replace Mike Evans in a year or two. Bring in another free agent of middling expectation and cost, role-playing free agent. And then Sky Moore, Justin Watson, Kadarius Toney, Justin Ross. I got to eight just there. And if you get to the end of training camp next year and Sky Moore looks no different and Patrick Mahomes enjoys throwing the ball to him no more than he did the year prior, 
His head's out of it. He's not picking up whatever it is. You get to the end of St. Joe next year, and roster cutdowns are coming around. You do what you got to do. Trade him for some other busted day one, day two wide receiver. Do the John? Who do they trade John Baldwin for? Is AJ Jenkins? Do your John Baldwin AJ Jenkins trade? Couple of first round picks who didn't work out. Change the scenery. Switch them up. Go ahead. Fine. Cool. Totally good with that. And I'm not betting on Sky Moore being excellent from this point on. But that's the context and the part of this conversation that I find myself most interested by as people are understandably eager to close the door on a wide receiver whose first two years in Kansas City did not go the way that he or the Chiefs expected or wanted them to go. Also, we'll see if the coaching staffs are different next year. We'll see if there's a a way that the Chiefs adjust in terms of how they want to build up their wide receivers. There are just too many factors at this point for me to say I'm completely out on Sky Moore, considering that, like, I understood the logic and the skill set out of college. So is there another thing they can unlock? Again, please hear me loud and clear on this part. I am not saying the Chiefs should be counting on Sky Moore next year. That would most likely be pretty foolish. But I'm saying it's no smarter to completely count out Sky Moore's involvement with this team when you still got to fill out a roster. Again, next year, Sky Moore's salary is less than $2 million on a roster that Let's go ahead and invest more money and, and again, make, make it Mike Evans. I'm cool with that. Love it. What, what are the Chiefs paying Justin Watson next year? 2.15. And that, that feels like a bargain. <laughs> Large part because of what else is happening around him. That's not necessarily because Justin Watson's been so electric, but, you know. So that's where I'm at. It's a bummer for this to be the way his season ends. I do not think this will be the end of his Chiefs tenure. I don't think he'll get traded before the draft. If some team wants to overpay before the draft, and they think, hey, we look, I I understand it didn't work, but we had a we had a second round grade on him out of the draft too, and you know what? We'll we'll give you a, a fourth right now. Okay, cool, cool. Yep, fine. All right, okay. Spend that fourth round pick on another rookie and and fill out the depth chart that way. That's cool. But you you've already lost two years of the the, the rookie contract. And two years of NFL film, him looking like nothing special. I, I think we're more likely talking about sixth and seventh round picks, pick swaps, swaps for another player that didn't work in his previous spot. And again, maybe that's the thing to do. Here's my last. The other thing that we get caught up in a lot. When your team acquires another team's flamed out day one, day two talent, it's like the most exciting thing in the world. We, we got a little bit of hype out of John Ross this year. Not a lot of hype, just a little. But Canarius Tony was that. She's going to put third round pick, obviously. These reclamation projects, Justin Ro- uh, Watson, or excuse me, Ju- nope, hold on. <laughs> Justin Ross, obviously not a first round pick, but a first round talent with 
physical issues. He gets hurt again last year. He gets arrested this year. He gets suspended six games this year. And we're still here now. Like, oh, well, you know, at least he's uh, got more ups going on. Maybe you get uh, maybe you get Ross involved. The hype and the potential and the, the, the missed opportunities, that's really tantalizing for a fan base and for evaluators. If the Chiefs next next offseason traded for some other teams, Sky Moore, you'd be penciling him as wide receiver three or wide receiver four immediately. It's just what we do. I do it all the time. I'm not blaming anybody for it, but just to keep in mind how much those expectations do impact the evaluations that we do of players, especially when their careers don't start or continue in the ways that we typically expect them to go. We'll talk about a lot of the other stuff going on around the Chiefs with Adam Teicher coming up at 11. But we'll take a time out here and we come back. I want to talk about both sides of Monday Night Football, both the uh, the agony of defeat and the uh, joy of victory. Drew Locke put that bleep on, and uh, Jalen Hurts is actually the one wearing it. We'll talk about what both of those quarterbacks had to say after the game next. It's the zone. No Jason Anderson today. He'll be back tomorrow. Joshua Briscoe, Dylan Michaels with you today. Okay, Dylan, give me the uh, the final piece of the Chiefs wide receiver rebuild that we're doing here as they are very much in the hunt for the one seed in the AFC still. Uh, so I like Kendrick Bourne on this list here. Very I like this. cheap if we did Mike Evans. Also, Curtis Samuel. I like Curtis Samuel. I, like Curtis Samuel. I feel like too. Curtis Samuel might get paid a little bit. I don't know. I don't he know might. why I think that. You give me more Mike than, Evans. More than Bourne. I yeah, agree. more than Bourne. I agree. Give me Mike Evans. Give me Kendrick Bourne. Give me, uh, you know what? You know what, Brett? If you get those two guys, I'll do you a favor. You can pick another receiver in the second round instead of taking one at 30, 20. Buy two, get another chance to draft in the second round. That's perfect. Although if it was like challenge rules, you would only get the two because you definitely lost your first second round wide receiver challenge. You won your second, but you lost your first one. No, buy two, get one free. So you give me Mike Evans, Kendrick Bourne, a number uh, round two receiver, and then you can go ahead and just like I, Brett, I know you're listening and I know you want to do this, you can take a defensive tackle in the first round. You're welcome. Or find your Chris Jones replacement in the second and draft the receiver in the first round. Whatever works. If you, they're going to draft a tackle, and I'm not even mad at it, I, I just wish I just wish Veach would text me back and let me know that that is in fact the plan. Let's talk about Monday Night Football, because it was spectacular on a couple different levels. First and foremost, Dylan, can we just play the the call you would have heard if you were listening to Sports Radio 810 WHB last night? You know, where you're home for the NFL, we got Westwood One games, these primetime games, all that. A crazy slate of games, uh, the most ever over the course of an NFL weekend, coming up here on 810 through Thursday through Christmas. Ton of NFL action, all right here on your home for the NFL. But, man... We just got the best right here. Kevin Harlan is absolutely as good as it gets. And Drew Locke, to to quote Drew Locke, delivers this pill to JSN. And Kevin Harlan may have had the best play of the night just by calling it. The rain has started again. 29 to Philadelphia. Seattle down by four. Third down and 10. 33 seconds left. Shotgun snap, three-man rush. Lock throws long pass down the far sideline. Caught over the shoulder. It's grabbed. Smith and Virginia. Touchdown. Touchdown. Seattle. Touchdown. 
Love how left the crowd eat. The Seahawks have taken the lead. 28 seconds to go. Kurt Warner also lets it breathe. Too pro. And one of the big storylines, Matt Patricia takes over the defensive play calling for the Eagles. I talked about two men on the play before this. He decides to drop down and go one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. And Smith and Jigba beats Bradbury once again. And a perfect throw by Locke. Just perfect football on the radio. Just perfect. Harlan, perfect. The crowd noise, perfect. Letting it breathe, perfect. Warner waiting and then delivering. Hey, Matt Patricia! Hey! And uh, Matt Patricia and then also breaking down what he actually saw there. Immaculate. Eagles need to stop hiring DCs out of nowhere because the last one with Fangio... But that was the Super Bowl, I think, right? Oh, they, they, they brought him in as, like, a, a consultant, consultant or something? I he forgot about Chiefs that. guru. Remember? Yeah. I think the Chiefs did okay in that game if they may serve. 38 points. So that call is just spectacular. But while we're also highlighting um, incredible broadcasting moments from that game, first of all, how about Drew Locke? How about Drew Locke? I don't know if you, if you weren't watching the video. Maybe you could have heard me. Put the backpack on. He had a fabulous moment there, but I think that maybe the best part, at least in punctuating the Drew Locke story last night, was his post-game interview with Lisa Salters on ESPN. This is the whole thing. It's about two minutes, and uh, you could tell if you weren't watching last night. There was there was some emotion getting just you know the, the the emotion that starts to just like push on the on your face skin a little bit like it's almost pushing out maybe it's trying to push out through your eyes through your tear ducts a little bit but it's just kind of in there you could see all of that from Drew Locke Lisa Salters does a great job of of poking at that and Drew Locke delivers two great performances one in the game and then one here right after amazing won't do it justice amazing won't do it justice but amazing also doesn't do justice. What the O-line, what DK did on that catch, what the receivers did, what Ken Walker, Zach Charbonnet did all game long, the tight ends, man. It takes a special group to rally around a guy that, you know, has come into his second game of the year, right? Used to the same thing all year long, same cadence, same spin of the ball, everything. A team like that, not just the offense, the defense to rally around. Me tonight, man, that was, that was amazing. I see some, I hear some emotion in your voice. Yeah. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Um, I'm just blessed. I'm just blessed. Blessed with a great group of guys, a great city, great coaching staff. It's just, it's, it's awesome. It's a wow. Drew, when did you even know you were going to be playing tonight? Oh, there's a long story going into that one. But I kept the mentality that I was going to play, regardless of what was going on, how people were looking and whatnot. I was just like, you know what, you're going to go out there and play, so just be ready to play. Found out when we got here that I was going to get the nod and roll the dice, baby. Let's go. Take us back to the touchdown pass to, to Jackson. Just what was the play call? Take me through. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll remember that play call for the rest of my life, but um, we're breaking the huddle. I knew Jax had the one-on-one. -on -one. Good reminder from Shane in the headset. I said, hey, Jax, you're one-on-one. -on -one. I'm throwing you this pill. 
sure enough. Gave us a one-on-one -on -one look. Corner was soft. Jacks hit him with some speed. Back pylon, back box throw, came down with it. Again, Drew, we can see the emotion on your face. We can hear it in your voice. Can you can you just describe what you're feeling in your heart right now? Yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard to describe the feeling of, you know, not playing for so long, or at least what feels like a really long time to me. And then you sit there, you watch games, you wonder, can I do this still? I haven't been out there on the field. That's the human nature of it. You get back out there last week, I'm like, you know what? I'm the man, so I can go do this. And then you got another test this week where I didn't know if I was going to play or not. Sure enough, ended up playing. We're playing the Eagles tonight. And the, the boys around me rallied tonight. And it just, gosh, it feels so good. It feels so good. I'm so proud of everybody tonight. I think in a lot of ways, that is exactly what you want from from NFL football, from Monday Night Football, from just this league in its entirety. That right there is is two and a half electric minutes with a backup quarterback in a regular season game for a fringe playoff team from a guy who was a pawn in the Russell Wilson trade, who didn't play for a long time, wondered if he really could still do it, remembered he could still do it, plays at the buzzer tonight, Tells Jackson Smith and Jigba, if you're one-on-one, -on -one, I'm throwing you this pill. And then points all of that back in the direction of his teammates to say, even to rally around me. You can tell what that meant to him there. They're 7-7! Seven and seven. They're 7-7 seven and seven and it's mid-December. The Eagles are supposed to be back in the NFC Championship game, at least. And I can't remember what the exact, it was like 90-some yards a minute and one timeout. So somebody tweeted, like, that is challenging baby shoes never worn for, like, the saddest short story of all time. Drew Locke, one timeout, 90 to go. It's like, it really, it's a, that's, that might be a short horror story in many iterations of the NFL. But last night, Drew Locke was a hero in that moment. In all of the chaos that the NFL brings... After the game, he was looking for Jalen Hurts and uh, couldn't find him. And so the camera caught him just saying, I guess he's sick, which apparently is. That's real. But, like, that's the guy who ends up being the star of a Monday Night Football game that was supposed to be Chiefs-Patriots. It's awesome. It really, I just think, on so many levels, that's exactly what you want in that moment. That's exactly what makes this sport so good. And... What makes this sport so chaotic? We'll take a timeout. If we have a little bit of time before we get to Adam Teicher, I'll mention this to Adam as well. I want to talk about the other side of that game and where the Eagles stand right now, losing three in a row. Some lessons to be learned from both sides of, of Seahawks-Eagles last night. We'll learn some of those when we come back. Good news, bad news, good news. We're back. Bad news. Still Jason. He'll be back tomorrow. Joshua Briscoe, Dylan Michaels with you today. Also just found out that we are being followed by Sterling Holmes' edition of the program, filling in for Seren. So uh, we got Drew Locke and Nick Mullins out here today. I think I got some Nick Mullins energy. I think I might, like, sprint out and then make a throw that's ill-advised, make some bad choices that do work out. 
Cross your body, middle of the field, basically. Speaking of, Richard Mendenhall, that's going to be my Nick Mullins moment, and we're going to see if we have time for it today. I don't know. But that's how I will confirm that I am in Mullins mode. Let's talk about the Eagles last night, because um, sometimes the best mirror you can look into is actually just a window (laughs) to some other people. Other teams in this instance, like, man, if you get a little bit too close up to the mirror and you start, you know, picking at all the pimples you got, maybe eventually go ahead and broaden your horizons a little bit, realize nobody's perfect, and, you know, stop picking at your zits. I think the Eagles might help Chiefs fans do that a little bit. Because the Eagles beat the Chiefs and beat the Bills. And it was like, all right, here we go. You got a two-team race in the NFC, Niners-Eagles. Cowboys are starting to heat up a little bit around then. And the AFC is kind of a mess, but, you know, Eagles and Niners have have really acquitted themselves. And then the Eagles got pantsed by San Francisco. And then Dallas. And then they lost to Drew Locke's Seattle Seahawks. Brian Baldinger did a, a great breakdown on the Eagles' offensive issues this morning, or as I saw it this morning, um, including A.J. Brown not getting a signal from Quez Watkins on the deep shot that turned into a pick, uh, with Hurts trying to get to Watkins there. Watkins was slow off the line of scrimmage because he was still trying to signal to A.J. Brown, and Brown literally just like jogs off the line of scrimmage at the snap uh, on a pass play. That can't be what the signal meant. There's no way Quez Watkins was like, all right, signal, just pretend like you're not running around. It seemed like he was confused. That was Baldinger's read on it also. Offensive issues, Jalen Hurts leaving a clean pocket, wide receiver communication, wide receiver communication to each other. And then Jalen Hurts, post-game, says something pretty interesting. Here's what the Eagles quarterback had to say. I've been talking about execution all year. Um been on the same page, everyone been on the same page, and we didn't execute. Um, I don't think we were, we're all were uh, committed enough, you know, you know, just, just got to turn it around, you know, um, you know, it's a challenge that we have to embrace, and just continue to see it through. What do you mean by that, about being committed enough? Commitment, I don't know more than that. I had a dictionary on me now. Um, excuse me. I don't know um, how else to say. Execution. Same page. Then commitment? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't have a dictionary, but... Two-thirds of that sounds real familiar. The uh, One of the reigning Super Bowl teams, one of the reigning conference champions, has execution and communication and same-page issues the year after being in the Super Bowl. They've lost three in a row. Something Mahomes has never done ever, right? And then he adds on the commitment thing and then being kind of non-committable about what he actually means there. So lesson one is look at the Eagles and look at everyone except for the 49ers 
and then look at the Niners, who also lost three in a row earlier this year. And you're going to find, as my friend Jordan Foote put it on Twitter, a very unserious NFL season. This is something that every team is going through at some point or another. Now, the question will be, can the Chiefs get out of that? That I don't know. But also, lesson two, if you want Patrick Mahomes to throw his teammates under the bus, that's a lot what it would sound like. You know, I'm just not sure our guys are all committed. Whoa, holy bleep. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Mahomes said, I don't know if MVS is committed? He hasn't said that. He knew he stepped in it there. I think you're right. I think he knew he stepped in it, and that's something for him to clean up now for a team with a lot of messes and a very, very messy NFL.